0: Wow! Well, I invite you to, to um, if you've got a Bible with you, I invite you to find Mark chapter ten. We're going to continue in our message series today called "Life Starts Now." And today we're talking about a life that matters. And uh, as you're finding that, just want to remind you about the last um, nightly worship service of the twenty-one days of prayer and fasting is tonight at Cornerstone Church downtown. I don't know if you've gotten to any of the. Services, but across our city in these last 21 days, there's been a worship service in a different church every night. And it's been unbelievable to see God's people from across denominations gathering, worshiping together, praying together. It's just unbelievable. What's happening, and if you haven't been a part of it, I just would encourage you, just strongly urge you, take advantage of tonight. I know you got to drive downtown, and parking's ridiculous, and you got to get there a bit early to find a place. There's tons of reasons why you shouldn't bother going tonight. I get it. It's inconvenient. But you, I promise you, you will not be sorry. It'll be so fun. Plus, uh, Christy, our worship leader, is going to be in the worship team tonight, helping to lead. So, if nothing else, support. And thanks for repping, Bethany, tonight. And uh, as well, some of you know about uh, a neighborhood church uh, downtown. They are celebrating their third anniversary uh, today at 4 p.m. So if you want to be a part of their service, not at Jackson School, but at, um, you can check their website. I think it's one of the Armenian churches uh, tonight at 4. All right, we're in Mark chapter 10. And we're picking it up at verse 17. begins this way, as Jesus, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. If you thought we dealt with some awkward things last week, we'll get more today. Uh, As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? "Well, Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And this amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? They asked. Verse 27, Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. And then Peter began to speak up. Well, we've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life but many who are greatest now will see will be least important then and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then let's be seated together i don't know how many toes i stepped on last week as we dealt with uh the elephant of marriage and divorce and adultery and so on we 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 realized we decided that sometimes divorce is necessary uh last week but god's design is For a man and a woman to live together with soft hearts toward each other for a lifetime. And uh, now we get to deal with this elephant in the room of what Jesus says about wealth and salvation. Now, for any of us, we can pretty easily read this and say, Hey, this doesn't apply to me because I am not a wealthy person like that guy in the story. And I got to tell you something. John, compared to your friends that you met in Malawi, would you say we're wealthy or not wealthy? Yeah extremely wealthy if you came here this morning in a car if you had breakfast this morning if you had a bed that you crawled out of in a, in a house that you live in if you if you have a phone in your pocket or in front of you it applies to all of us we can't say well compared to that yeah there's others that have more than you there always will be but this we're all wealthy in global terms so let's not try to wiggle out of this and say it doesn't apply to me. Um, you've got this wealthy man, he's religious, but he's got this problem. He knew how to keep the rules. He was a good not a Christian yet, it was, it was a Jewish guy, he was a good Jew, he was faithful, appeared to live a blessed life. But internally he he realized, he recognized, I'm not saved. And so Jesus put his finger on the real issue for the man because he would created this comfortable life for himself and that comfort was keeping him from fully trusting in Jesus for salvation. Fully trusting in God. Fully giving his life to the Lord. It was keeping him from living a life that matters. He was holding on to temporary treasure. So, Just drop it all, change your life, give it all away. Easy, right? It's like if you go to the doctor and the doctor says, "Hey, your heart's not right; it's running at fifty percent. If you're going to get healthy, if you're going to survive, you need to change your diet. You need exercise. You change your sleep patterns. Quit coffee. (laughs) Change or die." Well, according to uh, author Ellen Deutschman, statistics, statistically speaking, only about 1 in 10 people will make those changes. 90% of people say, it's not worth it, it's too much change, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. And many of us, me included, we like the idea of following Jesus, we just think it'd be great. And we want to be saved, but we want to set the terms of how this is going to go with Jesus. So it's a bit like we treat our, our faith like an open buffet. You know, we're just going down with a little bit of this. And yeah, Jesus I like that. Oh, I don't really care about that one. Love, uh, you know, love my neighbor. Well, I've got a good neighbor, so yeah, I can do that. Love my enemies. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to skip that one. And, you know, your plate fills up when you go down the buffet and then you get to, the, there's a prime rib at the end. And apologies to the vegans in the room. What, 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 do you eat in place of prime rib? I don't, I don't, I don't know. So p- prime tofu's at the end there and you whack. There's no room on your plate and you just try to fit it in, squeeze it in. A lot of us kind of treat our life of faith that way. Or just kind of wedge Jesus in amongst all the jello salad and roast potatoes. What if we were to live with our commitment to Jesus at the very core of our life? Years ago in a previous church, a young woman in our Alpha Alpha course, Alpha group, she was, she was super conflicted. She loved the church. She says, I want to become a Christian. I, I, I believe in all that stuff. But if I become a Christian, am I going to have to give up everything fun? You know, she never crossed that line of faith because she was so afraid about what she would lose Rather than recognizing what she would gain in Christ. what's sad. Faith in Christ isn't something we tack on to just being a good American. Following Jesus changes everything. And I know that sounds cliche, but I would like, if you're taking notes today, write that one down. Following Jesus changes everything. Everything. Look again at verse 21. looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's one thing you still haven't done. He said, go and sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. What was at this man's core? It was his faith in his possessions, in his stuff, his comfortable lifestyle. And that that misplaced faith was keeping him from true faith, from salvation. And Listen, we tend to see stuff as pretty stable and secure. But how many of you know somebody, or maybe this was your experience, lost a house in 2008, 2009, or you lost that job that you'd had for such a long time, or you got that diagnosis that says you've got three months, three years, or something in between. Suddenly, everything you thought was like stable and secure, I've got this, I'm fine. Whoa, rattled to the core. I, I remember reading a story about uh, people in Syria where the civil war happened. Living lives very much like us. Very normal, what we would consider a normal, ordinary life. And there's a civil war and suddenly everything is stripped away. Your home, your business, your savings, your loved ones. All those things that we think are secure can be gone like that. Anything that you cannot take with you to heaven... It's temporary. You're not taking your iPhone to heaven. You're not taking your car. You're not... Nothing. It's all temporary. And anything that's temporary is not reliable. You cannot build your life on it. Jesus is inviting this man to shift his core confidence, right? His central faith away from what he could hold with his hands, grip onto and feel like he could control, but you actually can't control it. Leave that temporary security for the daily adventure of following Jesus. And every time I read this passage, I actually don't like reading this passage. I would prefer to skip over this passage because I have to ask myself, would I do it? Would I do this? I mean, if I were in his sandals and Jesus said, hey, you're just missing one thing. You know, uh, you know, you're that little Miata car that you like driving so much and uh, and that green guitar you enjoy playing and uh, the home you live in. And I just want you to sell it all and go to Mongolia. Would I do it? Or would I be full of excuses, rationalizations? Well, you, it's kind of for someone else. John's already there, so it's kind of covered. Right? Maybe the challenge comes from Jesus in some other form, even now, maybe the challenge to you is not to sell all of this. Is the only time we have Jesus telling somebody this. There were other wealthy people around Jesus. He honestly didn't say that too. But maybe there's something else at your core that Jesus points to, that source of security. Listen, faith in Jesus is not just a nice creed we just add to everything else, put it on our full plate. It's this core of transformation, an invitation to a life that actually matters. And we've got this tragic moment for this man. He walks away and he's sad and Jesus is sad. There's like heaviness in the in the air right now. Jesus wants him to respond for salvation. We sing a lot of songs about, you know, God pursues me all the time. Sometimes Jesus lets us walk away. Jesus doesn't make a bargain. Hey, okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. Why don't you just like sell half? And we're going talk about the other half later. He's going right to the core of what that man needed. And, and the disciples are shocked, verses 25 and 26. In fact, Jesus says, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they ask? Because in their mind, wealth is an obvious sign of God's blessing. Right? And it's true. When you live according to God's way, you are likely to prosper. Right? You're going to be wise with money. You're tithing. You're not wasting your money on... Uh, you know, vices like alcohol and tobacco and lottery and gambling and stuff. Uh, You know, you're going to have a good work ethic. It's true. People who follow Jesus, faithful Christians, tend to do better financially for the just basic financial principles that are taught in Scripture. The disciples then figure that, well, a wealthy religious person He's got the best possible chance of salvation because this wealth shows that he's already blessed by God. He's got God's approval. And so the disciples are like, well, if a rich guy isn't guaranteed, what chance do we have? But salvation cannot be bought. It's not for sale, no matter how good you are with money. And so, yeah, we're basically all in pretty bad shape. There's a song that came, I don't know, 15 years ago or something, There's was a band called Ten Shuckle Shirt and they sang this song. It was a, Cheer up, you are worse off than you figure. I've always loved that line. Cheer up, you're worse off than you figure. What? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like my son's car. I've got a picture of my son's car here. It still runs, still drives. Changed the oxygen sensor in it yesterday and so it's running a little better. But there are so many things wrong with that car right now. And he thinks it's bad. It's way worse than he realizes. (laughs) So I say, cheer up. It's worse than you think. It's getting you to work and back. It's getting you to school and back. Right? Ignorance is bliss until you're sitting on the side of the highway. Until Jesus has come back and it's too late. So, if you think you're pretty good, Jesus has news for you, you're not. You're not. Only God is good. Jesus makes that point. And, and which tells you, you either have to accept that Jesus is God, or something other. And, and, and you can think, hey, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a good Christian. I go to church. But self-salvation is impossible. It can't happen. You cannot save yourself. So there's no value in a try-harder religion. It's not, like Christy, you said at the beginning, it's not the cross plus my good effort. You might think you've got this life together pretty good, but you don't. So cheer up. You've got time to make it right. But for now, you're worse off than you figure. And on our own, we have no hope for salvation because we could never be good enough for a perfectly perfect holy God. We just can't be but what's utterly impossible for us is completely possible for God. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's the message of grace. That Jesus went to the cross in our place. God can squeeze a camel through the eye of a needle if he needs to. And some of you in years past may have heard preachers talk about, in Jerusalem, there was a gate known as the eye of the needle. And camels could get down on their knees and squeeze through the gate. It's complete conjecture. There's zero evidence for that story. There's no record of that. Someone made it up. It's, it's not true. Maybe it's true, but nobody's got any evidence for it. Okay, it comes back to this rich man's plight. Are we going to stubbornly trust in a salvation of our own making? Or am I going to put my faith in Christ alone? And it's at this point in the episode that Peter speaks up. and He says, hey, what about us, Jesus? Hey, what about us? We've given up everything. Is there anything in this for us? And Jesus yes, Peter, there is. The reward is actually greater than you realize. The reward is greater than you realize. It's a triple reward according to Jesus. Verses 29 and following, Jesus replies, I assure you, everyone who has given up a house, or brother, sisters, mother, father, children, property, for my sake and for the good news, will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mother, children, property, along with persecution, and in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. It's a triple reward. A hundred times of what you've given up. Persecution. And eternal life. Three things. What does Jesus mean? A hundred times you'll receive as hundred times as much. God's going to meet your essential needs, and more. God's going to meet those needs, and I I think about it in terms even something as simple as this. For example, if you were to go anywhere in the world where there is another believer, you have a a meal. They'll take you in, give you a place to stay. You'll have family, and that's repeated thousands and thousands and thousands of times over. Some of my, I think back to my Bible college days, some of the most precious times were being inquired to and we get put up in people's homes. And you stay with these people and like, think, I've never met these people in my life and now they're family. Because of brothers and sisters in Christ. It's remarkable how that happens. And why is persecution a reward? That's a, that's a, that's a kind of an odd thing to say. You're going to get all this stuff plus persecution as a bonus. Well, anywhere the church has been persecuted, the church has grown, certainly in maturity and usually in, in numerically. Most, you know, John talked about being in a refugee camp of 40,000 people and that's where the church is exploding. Got nothing and now you're gonna say, oh, but it's worth it so I can come to Christ. We've got some believers that have, who are in the camp but have considered that God's placed them there as missionaries. Most of us, actually, most comfortable American Christians actually do not want their church to grow. I've had people say, you know, I would just prefer it stayed small. I like it that way. Like I just like when we're all together in one room and just, like just keep it that way. No desire to see the lost reached and saved. No desire to participate in the command to make disciples. Why Why not? Well, it spoils my comfort. Someone might take my favorite spot and I might lose my preferred parking place and I'm not going to get to sing the favorite songs that I have. If my church grows, my comfort's going to be spoiled. I, 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 I don't know. They could go to Clovis Hills Church. That's a big place. There's room for more people over there. That's a terrible attitude. Persecuted church doesn't watch the clock to get out on time. You might feel like you're persecuted today if I go over (laughs) time. Persecuted church doesn't skip a church service at the slightest excuse. A persecuted church doesn't take the Bible casually. I don't know, maybe the best thing for us would be to lose all those things that have made us sleepy as Christians in America. So, Hundred times, persecution, third reward, eternal life. Unending perfection in the presence of the perfect power and perfect holiness of God. I don't even know what else to say about that. The rich man had this amazing opportunity. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it personally invited him. Personally invited him. To follow, to lay aside his temporary treasures so he could enjoy eternal treasure. Do you notice that? Jesus says, you can sell all the, and you'll have treasure in heaven. It's not like you're never gonna enjoy the benefit of all this wealth. You're gonna enjoy it not just in this life, you're gonna enjoy it for eternity. Treasure in heaven. Jesus promises earthly generosity is gonna result in heavenly treasure. It's okay to plan ahead, to create an eternal portfolio. Some of you are generous givers and you need to know that it's okay to say, wow, as I give here, I'm going to reap the benefits of this for eternity. Intentionally investing now. A few years ago, my parents sent, a, there's four, of it, four kids in our family, all of us are married, we all have kids. And they sent us an email with a, with a picture attached. And they said, uh, um, Hope you don't mind. Uh, we use some of your inheritance to build this church building in Sudan. Send a bunch of money to a place I'll never go to build a building I'll never be in. I'm cool with that. I mean, shoot, if they sent me an email tomorrow, said, actually we spent the whole inheritance on missions. I'd be okay with that. I mean, they don't need to do that, right? My flesh says, no. My heart says yes. My heart says yes. Three years ago, someone from our church, a friend here, traveled had traveled extensively, super generous guy. I invited him to go on a little missions trip with me to the Philippines. What he didn't know at the time is that already had terminal cancer. Didn't know it. Here this guy who traveled the world has seen so many things. We're in these simple places, these simple Spartan rooms with little groups of God's people and he's sharing his testimony and we're going door to door in these squatter areas and he's praying for people. Had the time of his life. It's like, oh, I'm so glad I did this. We've got three of our, four people from our church that are planning to go to Mexico over spring break. Matt and Anne-Marie and their daughter and Vicky. I don't know if you're here, Vicki, today. Maybe you want to say, hey, we want to help you guys. You need some, some financial support. We want to be a part of that. We want to be with you in Mexico by helping you go. They're sitting right there. They'll tell you how to do that. They're dying of embarrassment that I just said that. But they're saying, we could just take spring break off and have a good time. We could go to the coast. We go to the mountains. Nothing against vacations, you guys. I love going on a trip. I love vacation. I love time with my family. Listen, I'm not putting any of that down. But they're saying, we're going to do something that matters for eternity. And they won't know until eternity what was accomplished. Some of you are thinking, man, I do all kinds of stuff, and I'm just challenging you to say, what if on one of these times, one of these trips that you get to go on, what if you were saying, I'm going to do this one for Jesus? What if some of that money you spend, you say, I'm, I'm going to give this stuff to Jesus? Maybe maybe you are going to sell your stuff. Or trade some, I, I don't know. I don't know if God's speaking to your heart today. Worship team, why don't you come up and lead us in one closing song. I'm just going to try to finish this off with a little illustration. This box might represent your life. And the things that are important to you are in that box. And you like the box because it's got sides to it and it's got a bottom to it and it's controllable and manageable and you know what you're dealing with and inside that box you're there in your box and you got Jesus in your box and it's great you love it your church is in this box your friends are in this box your finances are in this box your job and your school whatever it is all in your box it is so great But what if God's saying I've got something more but it's not in your box. I don't know. Well Jesus, couldn't you put it in my box? Like did something leap in you when John was talking? I want to be a part of something like that. That's probably not in your box right now. And the courage that it's going to take you is pretty massive to say. I want to get out of my box. I'm going to go to a place that feels risky or scary or expensive or dangerous, or I'm going to have that conversation with a coworker that I'm scared. I, I will don't even know what to say, Brian. I I I that's I'm not good with words, and I just don't know enough or a friend or a family member who doesn't know Jesus and you know you want to invite them here you want to invite them to church you want to invite them to be a party hear the good news message of Jesus but Like, ah, they're out of the box and I'm in the box what if God is just saying get out of your box there's just so much more I know it seems kind of vague or anything well what do you mean listen Jesus is speaking to you right now. There's something that he's speaking to you. I'm confident of that. And So are you willing to just dial it back and say, Jesus, give me the ears to hear. We're going to sing this song. Jesus, make me more like you. Make me more like you. And it's a, it's a sincere, genuine prayer to say, God, I, I can't fix this. I, I don't know even what to do. I don't even know how to respond. But I'm willing for you to do that work in my life to speak to me to show me to tell me to help me leave my comfortable box follow you